Okay, this is the part of our service where we press into the Lord's Word, where we hear it both read and preached. So I will read the scriptures for us, and then before I do that, let me just introduce for you who's going to preach for us today. As you know, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we're in a mini-series that we've been calling, If I Could Tell You One Thing. And what we've done is ask some of our church planting and pastoring friends to come from different churches and tell us, if you could tell us one thing, what is it that you would share? And so at Seven Mile Road, we're trying to take the posture of saying, at the beginning of this year, what is it, Lord, that you would have us here? Speak to us through these men and help us to receive and be obedient to what you would have to say. Today, it's a joy to welcome Pastor Ant or Pastor Anthony from uh, Real Life Church. If you've been at Seven Mile Road, you know that Real Life Church is just uh, down the boulevard a little bit on in Bridesburg and Port Richmond, reaching that place. They've been good friends to Seven Mile Road. They've been friends of ours from before we began public services. They've helped. Their pastors have served us. Uh, Rob, one of their pastors who you've seen before, coaches me regularly. And so they are good friends. And, and one of our hopes in this series is just for you to know that we're not building our own little kingdom here in the Northeast. We're not trying to build a brand called Seven Mile Road. We just want to be swept up into a bigger work that God is doing in our city and in our region. And so it's a joy for us to lock arms with and cheer and celebrate other churches that are about the same things we're about, gospel and community and mission, and real life is one of those. So Pastor Anthony is going to come and preach for us. The scripture reading for today is 1 Peter 3. If you want to grab a Bible, we have one down below your seat, 1 Peter 3. Verses 8 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness And respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Amen. Morning. How are we? Grace and peace to you from from Real Life Church uh, down there in in Port Richmond, Bridesburg area. 
Um, I'm, so, I'm so blessed and so encouraged at the, at the humility that I see in inviting other pastors um, from other local congregations, all part of the same church, um, to come and share the word of God with you. I'm, I'm learning uh, from you. So uh, thank you for that. Can we pray uh, one more time? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross of your son Christ and that the gospel uh, would be proclaimed and that what you value um, would be on our hearts and that we would also value uh, what you value, Father, that we would learn from your scriptures and that you would humble us uh, to submit to the goodness of your word and the wisdom of your word and the instruction and teaching of your word. And would you um, knit us together as your church, um, as you prepare us for uh, the inevitable adversity that just comes with life, uh, Father. So, so help me now as I, as I bring your word um, and as your spirit um, works through me. May they be your words and not mine. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay. I'm going to have to get used to this. Used to wireless mic here, but this is good. All right, so we are in 1 Peter, and I'm coming from chapter 3. But if, you, if you've read, or, and I know that you've, you're working your way through Scripture even here as a, as a local body, but in the first few chapters of 1 Peter, Peter, the apostle who is writing to a church who is facing, some are facing persecution, he walks them through a few things in the first few chapters. In chapter 1, he encourages them with the truth that they are born again to a living hope. He encourages them in chapter 1 to set their hope fully on the grace that will be brought to them in the revelation of Jesus Christ. He tells them that they are called to be holy. He tells them in chapter 2 that they are stones in the same building, and this is you and me as well. He tells them in chapter 2 that they are priests in the same temple, citizens in the same nation, exiles in the same land. And in chapter 2 and moving into 3, he says, As truly free people, they are called to fear God, honor everyone, submit to authority, to government, to work, and in their marriage. And there's these patterns that Peter is presenting. He continually, he does this thing where he, he reminds them that they're exiles. He reminds them of their identity. He reminds them that they will suffer, and then he reminds them of their hope, and then he does it again. He also, he continues to draw this contrast in chapter 1 of things that are perishable, things that break down and fall apart against things that are not perishable and do not break down and do not fall apart. He keeps bringing heavenly things down like the unseen heavenly father bringing him down to earth and all of his attributes for us to touch and feel and see and hear and wait for and hope in. The question that we're going to look at from Scripture this morning, and this, this would be what I would want to say to you, and this comes largely from God's Word, but it also comes from uh, the experiences of my wife and I over the last couple years, is this question of how do we have hope in suffering, How do we have hope in suffering? And the answer to that, which I believe is, is clear from this passage, is what I would want to leave you with. I'm confident that we all know, because we've heard it dozens of times, that we should have hope 
in suffering. Can you hear me? So again, I'm confident that Pastor Ajay has been up here and he's encouraged you and you can shake your head if this is true. Okay, I like, I like response. Okay, I don't want to, I'm a teacher by trade, but I'm not a talking head. So I like response. So shake your head, nod your head, yes, if you've been instructed by Pastor Ajay to have hope in suffering. Yes, amen, amen. So, so the thing with us as believers, though, is that, is that oftentimes we're faced with, when we're given an instruction like that, what do we normally do? We normally say, okay, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I have hope in suffering? And, and suffering comes in different forms for different people. And, we, and here's the hope button right here. And we go, nothing. I'm still in despair. I'm still sad. I'm still feeling depressed and guilty. I mean, I, I'm doing what he said. I'm pushing it. Where, where's the hope? It's not working. And for me, part of that is because, and I believe for many of you, is that we've bought into these, there's these famous nine words that many people, believers or non-believers, just people that believe in a deity will throw this at you when you're going through something, you've lost a loved one or you're grieving something or you lost your job and they say these nine words. Well, God never gives us more than we can handle. Cindy and I, um, over a year ago, lost our, our baby son, Micah. Um, we held him as he went to be with, with Jesus. And, uh, well, that was very difficult beyond words. Um, sometimes people would come into the hospital room, and instead of saying nothing, they would say, well, you know, God never gives us more, more than we can handle. And I, and, I, and I thought, really? This is way more than I can handle right now. That's because that phrase, God never gives you more than you can handle, is a lie. It's a lie. God does indeed give us far more than we can handle. God, in the book of 1 Peter, has thrown at the church that Peter is encouraging. He's thrown things at them that are beyond them, that are more than they can handle. The difference is that we, can, we constantly think that us having hope in the middle of overwhelming suffering and circumstances that are too much for us to bear has everything for us, has everything um, to do with us working at having the hope. Let me tell you from experience, and you probably know this, many of you, that will wear you out and lead you to despair. If you believe those famous nine words, God never gives us more than we can handle, what you're really believing about God is that he is like this. Watch this. God leans in and he says, well, well my son, I know you've, you, you've, you have a lot on your plate, and I know that you're suffering now, but this is something you can handle, and God gives us a push into oncoming fire and cheers us on and wishes us good luck as he leaves us to fend for ourselves. 
If you believe those famous nine words, God never gives us more than we can handle. That's what you're saying about God. It means that God's desire for his people is that they walk into hard circumstances on their own and work it out on their own, as opposed to trusting and hoping in the work that has already been done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. God is not into wishing us luck. He's into giving us hope and suffering. The real answer to how do we have hope and suffering has everything to do with us believing as a family, as a community, which is part of what I want to leave you with and part of what Peter is talking about. The answer to us having hope and suffering is found in believing together the truth of the gospel. We're going to go over three things. You can write these down if you want. Biblical or gospel community or family is necessary for joy and suffering. Number two, fearing God. Fear God. No one can really harm you in suffering. And be ready with an answer for the hope that you have in your suffering. And when I say suffering, it doesn't mean that you have to have lost a son or a daughter or a loved one. Suffering takes on many forms. Adversity finds us all. Amen? So let this be an encouragement to you wherever you are. Jump in. Let's jump in. Verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That word finally can also be translated and. So this is, that's a conjunction that joins together two clauses or two thoughts. So this is Peter's final encouragement to these Christians in exile. And prior to verse 8, Peter was mostly addressing how believers interacted or lived with people around them, like in society and in their communities. And now he's addressing them at how they live with one another. Okay, you with me? Okay. So Peter is telling Christians how to live around each other, and essentially he's telling them to do just that. He's telling them to live around each other, live with each other. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, all of you. He's addressing them as a family. You, as believers in this church at Seven Mile Road, aren't just gathered together here on Sundays. You are a family Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and you come together on Sundays to celebrate what God has been doing in your lives throughout the week as family, as missionaries, as servants. In verse 8, he addresses them, all of you, and he tells them what to do. He says, have unity of mind. That phrase actually means to have one Mind to be harmonious. He says, be sympathetic. Suffer with those that suffer. Weep with those that weep. Cry with those that cry. Have joy with those that are joyous. Be sympathetic. Have brotherly love. Be reminded that we are family. Brought into adopted into a family that is covered by the blood of Christ. He is what brings us together. He tells us to be tender-hearted with a humble mind and to bless others. And the funny thing about these instructions from Peter is that none of these things are possible. None of them are able to be obeyed. We can't do them if we live in isolation outside of community, outside of family. You can't do it. 
Peter addresses the church as a community, and God makes it so in order to follow these instructions and in order to have hope in eventual suffering, you, you have to be knitted together as family. You have to be. You have to live transparent, open, unafraid, unashamed, repentant, confessing lives together. Or you can't obey this. Amen? Amen. Just so you know, Peter is not alone. And this isn't just like a, a Peter thing. This is a, this is a biblical thing. This is an epistle, apostolic thing. So, so Paul kind of says almost the exact same thing in Philippians 2, 1 through 5. five. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any part- participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In his final words to the Philippians in Philippians 4, and I love this verse, this passage. He says, finally, brothers, family, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable. Anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things together. God's design is that, this, this is it, God's design is that he be known and that he be made known in family, in community. That's it. That's what the gospel is there for. That's what Jesus died for. He would have died for just one, but he didn't. He died for many so that he might be known and be made known together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So that when suffering, adversity comes, you're ready. Getting to know God together is, as we're called in 1 Peter, that is being holy. What does holy mean? It means to be like you can say it. So just so you know, at real life, we do, and I'm not going to, I don't want to flip anybody out. So we do do like a little dialogical, okay? Not, it's not overkill. I mean, we're not like sitting on the floor holding hands, but we do a little bit of that. So if I, you know, you can say. So being holy is to be like, to be like Christ, to be like God. So Getting to know God together is godly, and here's why it's godly. God himself is known in community. You know this. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, knowing each other, glorifying each other, being known, sharing that together as community. So if you want to be like God, as Peter calls us to be holy in this passage, not only can you not obey his commands outside of community, but you are not like God when you are living in continual, habitual isolation away from the family of God because God himself is a family. I'm not saying that there are not seasons of solitude in the lives of Christians. There are. Okay? Some missionaries spend years and years away from people. Okay? But God's design, his hope, 
is that we be one as family. So before we, before we begin to talk about suffering, we have to talk about being part of a community because the truth is, and you'll see later in this verse, that Peter is not saying that everyone will suffer persecution. It, he, he's not saying that everyone will face death, but he's saying that if you are not in community, and I've said it, when suffering comes, you won't be ready. And my, my encouragement to you and my charge to you is that suffering will come. It will find you. That's just the life of a believer, and that's just being in this world. Adversity finds us all. And when it finds you, and it will, community is what prepares you to walk that hard road. Community is where God makes himself known to you and through you. So community is where not only you as, a, as believers get to see what God is like, but community is where others, even those who don't believe, who aren't part of the family, get to see what God is like. Watch this. Peter says, have a unity of mind. Like who? Like who? Like God. Have sympathy like God, who keeps all of our tears, the psalm says, in a bottle and weeps with us. Have brotherly love like God, who loves perfectly, whose son was sent to buy a family and adopt sons and daughters to be made brothers and sisters in his church. Have a humble mind like who became a servant, born in a stable with feces and animals whose creatures to him are like this and he became a servant to them bless like who blesses with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because his son is the greatest blessing and perfect sacrifice one of the reasons we're called to be like God is so that we can remind others and each other of what God is like Sunday doesn't, it counts, but Sunday doesn't just count for this. Everyday life, eating together, resting together, learning together, listening to each other together, recreating together, creating together. That is where this happens. So Sunday, amen. Yes, but Sunday is the crescendo of the rest of your week. It has to be. It has to be. Because I can tell you that just Sunday alone is not sufficient for the adversity that life brings. You need and you are, and I would encourage you to continue to be family to one another and let Sunday continue to be the crescendo of your lives in worship and community in the city and spread out in the area. Get your life in the open. What do you have to fear? Who can harm you, as Peter says, when you are zealous for doing what is good? And it is good to be transparent and be family together. Who can harm you? What do you have to be afraid of? Your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. So you're free to tell it all. 
and be forgiven. Who can harm you if you are zealous for doing what is good? Which leads me to the next point. Fear God. No one can really harm you in suffering. Peter says, now who is there to harm you if you are, as I just said, zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, even if you should, you might not. But if you should, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Peter's asking a simple question. Who can harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Remember, he's writing to people who are already being persecuted, maybe not all of them, but some of them, and he asks this question, who can harm you if you're after what is good? And then he follows it up with a statement. But even if you should suffer for doing good, you will be blessed, having no fear of them. Do not be anxious. In one sense, he's saying, look, it's not likely that you're going to get your head cut off for doing something good. But you might. You might. Many believers that he's writing to would would not be persecuted. Many of you will not have to be persecuted in a way that some of them were facing. Many of you will not have to be persecuted in ways that believers now are facing persecution and death. But there should be a tension that you have in this world because we live in tension. And even that can be a form of suffering at times. So it's not likely that you will suffer these same kinds of persecution, jail, separation from your family, being killed. That's one way to interpret what he's saying. You might not, but you might. The other interpretation is, and this is, this, is, this is what the second point is about, has everything to do with what he says in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. This is, now he's talking to the people who will definitely suffer. Okay? They will be persecuted. And for you, you can, you, you, can, you can be encouraged by this because, as I said, you will face adversity. You will face suffering. In some form. And what does he say? What is his promise? What is God's promise through Peter? If we suffer, when we suffer, we will be blessed. So what what kind of blessing? I'm going to do it. What kind of blessing do you think he's talking about? How will we be blessed? If you're suffering and you're, say you're on the brink of death, okay? what 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 is the blessing that comes your way? What do you get? You can say it. Peace. Okay. And where is ultimate peace? We think I can't wait to get to glory so I can have peace. And suffering reminds us of glory. That's the blessing. And when I read it the first time, I thought, oh, yeah, heaven, blessing, peace. Do you know what the word blessed means? Do you know what it means? It means happy. It means happy. So this is, this is how backwards the scriptures are, okay, to our own understanding. He says, when you suffer, you'll be happy. I'm sorry, come again? When you suffer, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be happy. At face value, this makes no sense. How can he, how can he say that? How can you be happy when, how can I be happy when, God takes my son. How is that happiness? 
How can I be happy when I lose my job? How can I be happy when I'm, I struggle with habitual depression? How can I be happy when my family falls apart? How can I be happy when we have no money? How can I be happy when whatever, you, you fill it in. Fill it in. You, how can, how can, what? I'm suffering. Happy. The believers of Peter's day were being killed and beaten. And then he says, not only will you be happy, but no one can harm you. So we experience pain and suffering every day in numerous ways. And he says, we're not harmed. That also doesn't make any sense to me. If you cut my arm off, am I not harmed? Am I not harmed? I am. What? I don't under, I don't, when I come to passages like this, I say, I don't understand. Spirit, help me understand. Here's why he says, you are not harmed. The greatest harm that you can suffer, ever, anyone in the history of the world, the greatest harm, true harm, is separation from the living, loving, holy, righteous, pure God. That is harm. True harm is separation from the Father. So Peter is saying to these people, they might take your arm, they might take your head, they might take your son, and you are not harmed because you are not separated from God in suffering. You are not separated from God, even though they can separate things like limbs and family and job and money and car and house or whatever it is that you're holding on to. You can be separated from those things and you might be wounded, but you are not harmed because God is with you. Amen. In the life of the Christian, God uses always, all the time, never failing. He always uses what the world says is always bad for good all the time. He always does. Therefore, you can be glad no matter what happens. He tells them that they already have this hope because of what Christ has done. And you know, hope in God, hope in, is not a mantra. So when I was in the hospital, I'll just tell you a little bit of the story. Um, when I was in the hospital, um, we went because J- Micah had stopped moving in Cindy's stomach, and we were concerned, and we drove to the hospital. It was a very tense, very scary drive. Um, in the back of my mind, I kept saying to myself, I've, I've been listening to it from for years now, suffering, suffering, and I've God, I just think it might be coming. I don't know. We get there, and they have us on the monitors, and the doctors came out of the operating room because Cindy had to go in for emergency C-section, and they told me, and she was asleep, so she didn't hear this. They came out, and they told me, and they said, we don't know how to tell you this, but he's not going to make it. He's lost too much blood, and he's not going to make it. And... I fell apart. I fell to pieces. I fell to the floor. I curled up in a ball and I cried and I was was overwhelmed. And they said, 
we're going to bring him out to you now. And I said, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. They said, we're going to bring him out to him. I no, 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 no. And I begged God to wake me up and help me. And like a wave, joy came over me. Peace came over me. And I don't remember standing up. I know I was lifted up. And they brought him out. And I put my hand in the incubator and I held him. And I remember feeling overwhelmed with sadness, but feeling overwhelmed with great joy, knowing that God was with me. That is hope in God. That is hope in God. It's not a work. It's not a mantra. It's not something that you write down and repeat to yourself. At that moment, I didn't do anything. Something was done to me so that I might have hope in God. And in the hospital room, when the nurses and the doctors came in, we had joy. And they said, we're so sorry. And they said, we, we, said, we are too, but we have joy. And they went, what are you talking about? And we got to share the gospel with them. So hope and suffering looks like not an intellectual understanding of the fact that God is with you in suffering. It is something that God does to you so that when you suffer, you can say, it is good, it is well with my soul. Look how the gospel is being spread because of my loss. So now my loss is good because God used it for good and I'm happy because of it. When you suffer, you need to be ready with an answer for the hope that you have in suffering. Last point, Peter says, honor in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, when people they say that that person is stupid because they hope in something they can't see and suffering is real and they can touch it and feel it, that's stupid. They might say that. I'm just preparing you. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter is telling people that, that are suffering and experiencing tension because they live in a fallen world to fear God. God is master. Christ is king. He is God. He is Lord. Who can harm you? And because no one can harm you, be ready with an answer to testify to the hope that you have. Not what you do, but the hope that you already have. I'll give you some illustrations. If your kids, if your kids are, your, are your master and you fear your kids, so if I fear Jaden and I put them where God belongs, heaven forbid, he's taken from me. And I suffer loss and my world falls apart. I am harmed because my hope and my fear is in my son, Jaden. If your job is your master and your fear uh, is losing your job all the time. I know people that go to work and they are just afraid that they're going to lose their job every day. They're afraid of it. 
And one time, someone lost their job. And their world fell apart. Their hope was in their job. And they, in their hearts, were harmed because they put their hope in their job. If you build your life around your reputation and you do it, and you do everything to build it up and polish it and, and make it look so nice, and then you fall morally and you fail and everyone knows about it, and your world falls apart, your hope is in your reputation. You are harmed because you put your hope in something that wasn't even real. Who we make ourselves out to be that's not reality. That's why family is so important. Because we don't have to protect a reputation. We are known amongst family. We are like God because God knows us and we, allows, we allow others to know us as well. It's evident what you fear when you fear perishable things. Because when those things are taken from you, you are harmed. And the, the, the testi- testimony that you have is... That is more valuable than anything to me because it was taken from me and everyone looks at you and goes, I know it is important to him. But if you fear Christ, the one who will never perish, you can suffer the loss of anything and still have joy. This means that how you handle suffering has very little, if nothing, to do with loss. How you handle suffering has nothing to do with what is taken away from you. How you handle or deal with suffering has everything to do with who you know, how you know him, and who you know him with. Him being God and the gospel. Amen. It's what you fear that determines how, you're, how you handle suffering. If you... Last illustration here, and then we'll, we'll pray. If your joy and satisfaction is, is let's, say, let's say you go to the beach. Anybody go to the beach in the summer? Okay, let's say you go to the beach in the summer, and you build a sandcastle. Your kids build the sandcastle, and they go, Mommy, Daddy, look at my beautiful sandcastle. And then someone comes, and they kick it, and they knock it over, and what happens? Your kid, he cries. And no one comes up and goes, oh, why are you crying? They know why he's crying. You killed his creation. You knocked it over. That's why he's crying. People who don't know Jesus don't need reasons to be miserable. They already are. They don't need reasons for tears and sadness. They're everywhere. They just got to flick on the news. What they need and what you provide for them as a family of missionaries, what you will be for them is a reason to have happiness and joy and peace when everything around you says you shouldn't. And suffering of any kind always provides an opportunity for that. But you have to be family together to do that. You have to be. We are prepared for suffering in community. And when we suffer, we do this in community as a family. We give answers for the hope that we have as a family in community. Someone said something to us, Jill, if you know Gino, Pastor Gino and his wife Jill, they came to us after we lost Micah. And one of the first things they said to us is, Cindy, Anthony, there is fleeting joy in children, but everlasting joy in Jesus. 
There is fleeting pleasures and fleeting joy in children, but everlasting joy in Jesus. The reason why I say that is because if I never let them in to be family to me, she would have never had the ground to say that. She probably would have said, God never gives you more than you can handle. All of us, just because we live in a foreign land, are called to endure some kind of suffering. And my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, would be to continue and to do even better than you're doing now. Family together, so that when suffering and adversity of any kind comes, that you can encourage each other with the hope of the gospel that's laid out for us here in this passage and the rest of God's story. That would be my prayer uh, for you as, as, as my family and, and part of the church here in Philly. So let me pray for, for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us hearts for one another that are unafraid of our sin and unafraid of repentance and confession um, with one another, Lord. Um, it's one thing to repent to you. It's another thing to repent to each other. Uh, Father, what have we to fear if we are zealous for doing good? Help us to be family so that when tragedy comes, we are ready and we can encourage each other. I pray that your spirit would do that work uh, in our hearts and that you would um, grow us up in that way to honor Christ and to usher in your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.